Hello and welcome back. The boys are in the room. We're having a lovely time. It's Thursday morning. Georgie boy, old buddy, old pal, how are you? I'm very well. We're not in the same room, are we, Steve? Don't want to mislead mislead oh, the God. listeners. God, that the same room. <laughs> that's, a, that's a prerequisite. That was that was a deal breaker. Yeah, we're in different countries as ever, um, but keeping this baby and our friendship very much alive. Um, <laughs> today we are having a bit more of a loose episode because we just want to talk about a few things. We don't we don't want to be on a hard topic this time. We kind of want to chat a little bit about TV, a little bit about shows we're watching, a little bit about a little franchise called Star Wars. Um, well, actually... Oh, sorry? Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Well, Star Wars, Marvel, Disney, uh, streaming, state of TV, things like that. Um, but first, I want to talk to my buddy. So, George, um, what's, uh, what's going on in life? It's a big, it's a big opener, that. Um, what's going on in Denmark? What, what's, <laughs> what's rotten in the state of Denmark? <laughs> uh, I'll I tell you something, Steve. Um, Danish people, if there's any Danes out there listening, hi there. Um, they all really struggle to pronounce my name, George. Right. They find that very difficult. Um, and this has become apparent to me, Steve, because I've been eating a lot of kebabs. Uh, and uh the danish delicacies well you'd you'd be surprised um you go to the kebab shop here you place your order you tell them tell them your name they then shout your name out when your order's ready i have had all manner of different names not one of them has been george when i've i've offered it up i was there a couple of days ago guy asked me my name he was speaking like really good english uh i said george he went okay okay wrote it down I walked off waiting for it but like five minutes later Julie Julie (laughs) no obviously no one's answered to this and you know he's looking around and then he read what the order was and I was like yeah that's that's mine and he sort of laughed and he went what is your name I said George and he was like all right I've got Julie and then he said he kept saying George in like a very sort of affected way and all the other guys behind the kebab counter were like laughing at me they're going oh George 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 (laughs) and it's just like they were sort of going oh we thought he was Julie and then they just gave me my kebab and I just walked off is that that Julie with uh, two O's and three E's (laughs) yeah exactly Um, yeah they 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 really struggle with it I I remember when um, we did the marathon out here a couple of years ago and I had my name written on the shirt. So it said George and sort of the very supportive crowd would sort of shout people's names to cheer them on. But I think in Denmark they pronounce George. They don't have the E on the end and it would be like Gior, something like that. So people would be shouting like Gior, like go on. I had absolutely no idea they were talking to me. So it was just a very like isolating experience to have your name not really resonate with anyone or when they do say your name, it doesn't resonate with you. I'm, I'm having a complete identity crisis out here, Steve. I didn't know that uh, George was such an unfamiliar name. For them. Well, it's like, it's like the German, right? Like Hegel. It's like Georg Frederick Hegel, right? Right. Yeah. So, you know, it's like a different, it's the same name, but with a very different pronunciation. Um, do you feel like a do you feel like a foreigner walking through Denmark? Because obviously, for people who aren't familiar with the you know the distinctions, the finer distinctions between England and Denmark, George, <laughs> um, <laughs> different countries. Yeah, 
Um, Denmark's not entirely a world away uh, in terms of culturally. Would you say from England? Yeah, it's like a, it's like a west, it's like a Western culture. You walk down the high street, it's, walk through the city centre, it's ostensibly the same as walking through London. But um, there's, the men, there's, the men, are tall, the men are taller and fitter. One might absolutely, say. There, there are myriad differences, but very broad brushstrokes. It's not the same as you know going to uh, I don't know Bombay or something. There's just like completely different where there's a completely different experience. But um, I, I do feel quite isolated by the language. But I have to say that all Danes speak phenomenally good English. It's more, the thing I'm finding quite strange is just, I'll be walking down the street and kind of overhearing conversations and things that are happening. I just have no idea what's going on, what's being referred to. You know, if I'm walking around in London, I kind of overhear someone saying, oh, the bus is late or something. I, I get more of a, an idea of what's happening. But I do feel a bit like a, bit like sting and his i'm an alien i'm a little alien you know Uh, i'm a little alien (laughs) so that's a that's a joke my uh uh, my girlfriend elizabeth thought that the lyrics were i'm an alien i'm a little alien rather than i'm a legal alien uh so she thought it was about a kind of martian walking around new york (laughs) confused me when i was a kid to be fair yeah it's difficult well um yeah, and and what and what of England and its rolling green hills? You are. <laughs> um, you pine for England. I always pine for England. Um, a cream tea, a scone, a lovely roast dinner, warm beer, cricket in the sun, Shakespeare on the lawn. Is this your Tinder? This is your Tinder profile, is it? <laughs> hey, hey, now, um, who gave you that? Um, no, uh, you know, I'm, I've been trotting around an extremely uncharacteristically sunny England, George. It's been, it's been warm. It's been lovely. Um, it's been what we would call a heat wave. <laughs> and, uh, I was quite sorry, I was quite banned. Sure. Sure. Um, and I went for a lovely spring jog. Uh, it felt like Lord of the Rings. It was very much like the Shire sort of, mm-hmm. just, uh, you know, lilies and ponds and i uh i went for uh the first run i've been for in i don't know about nine months yesterday so even it felt more like piggy from lord of the flies <laughs> being chased by sexy men. <laughs> yeah ready to stick me like a pig <laughs> um so let's let's pop on to one of our one of our topics we're thinking about george um you know you're you're clearly uh you're clearly no man for the outdoors. You're stuck inside. <laughs> <laughs> you pop on the television. Um, the old, the old tube. What, um, what TV show? Have you been watching TV lately? You've been watching, catching up with TV shows? Well, I, ha- I mean, I think, you know, to really set the scene that it's kind of mid 2019, I've been, I've been watching a lot of Seinfeld, um, Right, yeah. that's very in to be watching. That's very in to be watching uh, retro shows, though, isn't it? With the, the the huge popularity again of Friends on Netflix, so you're very much on the pulse. Well, what's funny, I think, in watching Seinfeld is how certainly in the UK and kind of fashion at the moment, the sort of 
I don't know, a couple of years ago, the 80s kind of look was in and now very much the 90s, like oversized baggy stuff is back in. Jerry the Seinfeld's the most yeah. stylish man you'll ever see at the moment. The loose shirts are coming back in. And you know, it's filtered, it's just filtered through to me unconsciously, George. I've started wearing like baggy, I've, I've, I've not been wearing fitted t-shirts as much, been wearing baggier stuff. What? How does that just infect into your brain eventually? It just sort of seeps through. It works through, doesn't it? Like Jerry Seinfeld's wearing their like sort of bright white kind of big trainers. They're everywhere now. So it is, it's quite funny to see something that, I don't know, five years ago we would all look at and say that's kind of a, a heinous crime against fashion. And now he's, Jerry Seinfeld's like a real sort of trendsetter. Um, but I'm sure that too shall pass. But um, yeah, thoroughly enjoying Seinfeld, finally getting to it at long last. But um, I have some more contemporary answers if that's also what you're fishing for. Well, no, actually, just on, well, I watched a marvellous Seinfeld episode the other day, George, because you re-inspired me to go back Mm -hmm. and watch. I watched, uh, we're not just going to list Seinfeld episodes, by the way, but I watched the one where where Jerry realises that he's more attracted to his girlfriend's roommate Okay, I've not seen that one yet. Uh, and and him and George stay up all day and night trying to figure out how to do the switch, which is how to <laughs> how to woo the other one and make it okay. And it's a uh, it's a very funny episode. But uh, yeah, um, yeah, I've I've uh, I've been digging. I was reading the other day how much. Um, speaking of these retro shows, yeah, apparently Friends is worth like hundreds of millions of dollars to Netflix because of how. Mm how many teenagers now are watching Friends. And uh, I saw this in LA as well, where like people were re-watching it, people who were young when it came out, and people I know who are friends have like started re-watching it. And it's like, how is... I mean, Friends is a great show, but it's just, it's just strange now that there's even people who weren't even... don't even have nostalgia for it mm. are watching it and going, oh, I love this. And is that just testament to the fact that certain shows are timelessly good? Or is it is it some kind of thing in the air where people want the comfort of those sort of tried and tested older shows? Oh, it's definitely a bit of both, isn't it? Yeah, it, might, it must be a feather in the cap to the fact that it's a really well put together show. But I suppose it also, for being quite broad, it's also quite universal. Everyone can relate to having some friends, hanging out, talking about dating and how their jobs are going that's kind of what friends is about seinfeld it's not really about too much but by not being about anything it's sort of relatable to everyone whereas if you've got something super esoteric it in time that just drop the interest is going to drop away when that that kind of binding interest part of it is is forgotten you know so something as general as possible but that still hits all the beats and still kind of yeah, does does good comedy at the same time is always going to stick around, I think. I feel like Cheers didn't benefit from the decline of drinking culture. <laughs> no, exactly. Less, um, relate, less I mean, relatable now to spend all day in a bar. Yeah, well, I guess Friends and Seinfeld as well, they do spend a lot of time in coffee shops and that's something that has just increased since those shows existed so people can relate to that more and more. Yeah, that when I was a kid, that seemed like the coolest American thing. Was Yeah, so exotic, right? Going for it, being in a coffee shop, having coffee. Yeah. That's, that's my that's my bloody office now, George. <laughs> um, I uh, I have to have black coffee now, obviously, because my trainer banned me from having uh, lattes. But then you go and, you go and waste that beach body under a big old baggy shirt. What are you playing at? 
Yeah, but but when it comes off, I mean, <laughs> the, gl- the, gl- the glow from my pale six pack. I mean, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, TV. Um, what else have you been? What, what's the new? What's the new fair you've been watching? Have you been tucking? I, I find with new TV shows, I'm very, very much tentative. Where I, I need to be told something's good about five to 10 times to finally watch it. Cause I don't want to risk starting a show that I then, if it's, if it's brand new, I think ah, give it, give it a couple of months. See if people think it's really great first. Yeah, sure. I, I definitely get that. It's a, a big investment. I, I, I'd say the two I, I will champion now are both quite, um, quite small and self-contained and, you know, it's not like, oh, you really need to watch The Sopranos. There's 88 episodes. They're all an hour long. I would encourage anyone to watch it, but it's such a big undertaking. Um, so, you know, uh, a small, short, contained season is something I'm, I'm quite keen for now because, yeah, you're not, you're not wasting a load of time or waiting for it to build. But the two I'm going to push, one I've pushed on you before is Fleabag. Um, Watched it, mate. What do you think? I watched it on your recommendation. Yeah, cracking. It's very good, isn't it? Really enjoyed Fleabag. Why don't you, why don't you tell our non-UK listeners what... Uh, Have you seen one and two, seasons one and two? I've seen it all, mate. <laughs> it's perfect. So um, I, I assume it's been on in the... She's quite a big star in the US now, um, if we're going to keep it kind of UK-US-centric on, on the culture front for just a minute. But um, it's a show... Her name is Phoebe Waller-Bridge? Bridge. Yeah, that's right. So she's had some like, big success. I think she was in the Han Solo film. Um, she's kind of like transcended, but she's uh, Fleabag is a character driven kind of comedy, but with like a, a very dark undertone as well. Um, she's a kind of like a young girl. I think season one, it would be fair to say she's a sex addict and a bit of a terror and a tear away. And it just kind of follows her life in dating and her relationship with her family and the sort of many scrapes she gets herself into. But it's like refreshingly forward and uh i think the characters are just incredibly well drawn and the relationships all feel so natural and real um that there's only there's only 12 quite short sort of 20 25 minute episodes but you feel like there's that the world that they portray exists even outside of the show being finished that they're such well-drawn characters i found that fantastic it's laugh out loud funny but um she started it off as a, a stage show um like a kind of monologue from this character's perspective whereas the show pads it out a lot more um but it's got a, a great kind of i think it's masterfully edited she breaks the fourth wall a lot she'll often like make these kind of looks to the camera and like little kind of riot you're in on a joke in a way that you wouldn't be in something like friends um yeah, I, th- I think it's just fantastically put together. Super funny, very rude. I wouldn't recommend watching it with with your grandparents potentially, but um, unless they're into that kind of thing. Um, yeah, very very funny, and I think season two is potentially even better than season one. And it, um, it's quite a nicely self contained show. And I think the biggest tribute I could give it is that even if it wasn't a comedy, it would still stand up. Um, it, it is a comedy but the show has enough depth to it that even without that I think it would still be a powerful piece of television um, and then on the back of it she was then the show like a showrunner creator adapter for Killing Eve which was um, I think very very popularly received I would say it offered three fantastic maybe four fantastic episodes and then completely fell apart is my review of that show but um, 
yeah, I think Fleabag is certainly the, the best piece of work she's done. I would recommend that to to any comedy fan out there. Yeah, it was. Um, it, it's kind. It's it's kind of between. I guess it has sort of dramedy, right? Where it's not a it's not straight out and out comedy all the time, mm-hmm. but it, uh, it's um, you know it's got it's got moments of drama and pathos in it, and uh, I guess I, I like the fact that it it had a wry, ironic, sometimes cynical sense of humor, but it, it wasn't. Sometimes those shows go to the point where you you sort of hate everyone in it, and it can be funny, but you don't have any attachment to the people. Yeah beings like but even in this show where the main character has certain qualities where she's sometimes not sympathetic and she's sometimes selfish or or whatever but you still they still round her out to a way where you see her vulnerabilities which uh which is quite rare actually um in in shows to do that and they sort of like her sister right is very stuck up and very prissy and you know um uptight but you also find her sister quite sympathetic at times and you, yeah. you warm to her and it's just you've often seen in in shows that do that they paint they paint a particular archetype as extremely two-dimensional and then don't give you any reason to think they're a human being it's like oh she's prissy and ambitious and uptight so that's all she is and she's just a total ball breaker and but um yeah, this they make them very believable and human. So yeah, it's got a great cast as well, right? Like Oscar winner Olivia Coleman, um, Kristen Scott Thomas is in the second season. Um, yeah, yeah, it's 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 really very good. Um, recommended for sure. The other, if I can continue, Steve, the other contemporary pick I have. I'm not sure if you've seen this. Is a show called Barry. Uh, no, I'm so it's it's created by. Um, Bill Hader, or Hader, the guy from Saturday Night Live, and uh, Alec Berg, who is, I think, was also involved in Seinfeld, but um, is also the showrunner or one of the showrunners for Silicon Valley. So it's got that quite glossy sort of tone and vibe to it. But it's about a hitman who um, who moves to or goes to LA to to carry out a hit and while he's in LA he gets drawn into the world of amateur dramatics and a kind of acting class which is run by a character played by um, Henry Winkler who's essentially playing an extension of his character in Arrested Development but it's again like a very dark comedy but probably more comedy than dark but to me it's a sort of mish mishmash between something like a show like Silicon Valley and also Breaking Bad so there's these incredible moments of tension and really dark drama and um like real cliffhangers at the end of episodes but also the sort of uh like a look under the bonnet of or under the hood of the kind of egos and everything that goes into acting and particularly the kind of lower end of the acting spectrum in amateur dramatics and stuff it's it's really funny really well put together and again very short episodes and um, there's an excellent, excellent character in it—a kind of Ukrainian like mob boss who is um, one of the best characters in a show I've seen for a long time. And I, I can't tell you the actor's name, but it's—I imagine—will be a bit of a breakout role for him. He's fantastic in it. So yeah, I really recommend this show as well. Barry, Barry, lovely stuff. Um, have you been? Uh, you've been swinging much on Netflix lately, George? Uh... I, I started investigating so I've heard a lot of great things about Narcos 
Um, so I've watched the first five of the five episodes of the first season, and I would say it's it's pretty good. I wouldn't say I've got the Narcos bug at all. Um, it's it's like it's pretty well done, um, but I'm not loving it. You snorted a line of the Narcos drug, <laughs> so, so to speak. But I I have not in any way become an addict. I see. Um, I can take it or leave it. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's like it's well done, but it it doesn't quite reach the heights of something like Breaking Bad or Sopranos. And I've, I have heard it kind of mentioned in the same breath as those. And I don't think it deserves to be at all. Yeah. Well, Netflix now has a few of the, um, has a few of what I'd call the absolute towers of television where it does have all of, all of Mad Men, all of Breaking Bad. The towers of television. The, the, the tower, the, the towering, I wanted to say something like the towering gems of television, but sure. I don't know, that, that didn't quite work. Um, no, it doesn't have all of the Sopranos, which is the greatest show ever, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does have all of Mad Men. It has all of Breaking Bad. Um, doesn't, uh, doesn't have The Wire. See, HBO still have some of the, good, the goodies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's how Barry is on HBO, I think. What one? Barry. Barry, yeah. Um, and, and HBO of True Detective, uh, first season of which is uh, very, very good. Um, I, on Netflix, though, what I have particularly enjoyed, a Netflix original, is TV show Fargo. Mm, yeah, have you, you've challenged that. I haven't started it yet. Um, it's great because... What I, you know, I do find it intimidating when you come to a show and people go, and there's six seasons to watch. And I think, oh my God, I'm going to, you know, if I'm going to enjoy this, I'm going to have to really get in hard. And then, but, but the good thing about Fargo is each season is just a self-contained, essentially a self-contained, completely wrapped story. Oh, so, okay. so there's no, you can, you can decide I'm going to watch the first 10, 10 episodes and that's a season and uh you know the whole story will be finished so it's kind of very pleasing to know that you're going to get a completed thing and not go oh and then i'm going to get to season four and realize there's no more left and the story's still going on Mm -hmm. um which in this day and age i do find i do find shows test your patience at times where a show that should have been should have been two or three seasons is now eight seasons of story um you know, or six seasons, um, House of Cards, which should have been probably a two-season series. And uh, I mean, the, the UK version of House of Cards is only like six episodes or something. It's like very brief and very contained. I know, but you know what these Americans do to tell them? <laughs> um, you know, and House of Cards was cracking for a while and then went off the boil in about season three, I think, for me. But the first two seasons were exceptionally good. Um, and it could have almost just finished very quickly, I think. But yeah, um, so they made a mess of that. Um, but uh, yeah, sorry, show, yeah, Fargo. But Fargo is great. The first scene is, is very, there's a film of Fargo that's very famous by the Coen brothers, but this doesn't really have anything particularly to do with that. The first season uses very lightly cribs from some of the general story of that, but, but goes off very quickly in a completely different direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's more about the tone of that film where there's a mix of darkness and a sort of whimsical Minnesota sort of ironic humor. And, you know, part of it is just, Oh, the Minnesota accent sounds funny as well. Doesn't it? (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, Because George, they all come from Scandinavia where you are right now. A lot of, I think mainly Norway. 
mainly Norway. Um, yeah, and uh, that's why their names are things like Nygaard and things like that. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's just got a great tone. The story's really good. The first season, like Martin Freeman's really on form, who's in The Office. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton just has this great turn as a very sinister kind of hitman figure. Um, yeah, and then and then the second season is also really great. It's got like Kirsten Dunst really sort of playing a, a kind of interesting like I don't know, just slightly different role for her. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's very very well done. And they're kind of like they're kind of grisly detective stories, but um, they're kind of very much lift elevated above that. They're not they're not like a just a police procedural. Cool. Um, well, I, I think I might um, kick Narcos to the curb then and swap it out for Fargo. Yeah, yeah, you'll enjoy them. I haven't done the third season yet, which has you and McGregor, but that's like the latest one. Um, okay. But yeah, the first two are definitely stand out. Um, another show I very much enjoyed is uh, Donald Glover, aka Childish Gambino's TV series Atlanta. Mm. Have you seen Atlanta, George? I haven't watched it. No. It's one that very is one that's very highly gar- regarded, and very few people have seen. Um, and it's uh, it's one of those ones where maybe people are starting to discover it two seasons in. I think, but um, it's uh, it's interesting. It's not. It's one of those ones. It doesn't always hit the mark. Like it, I think its first season is stronger than its second, but it has some very standout episodes it has some very funny moments but it's not entirely it's it's almost the the premise is just that it's donald glover aka childish gambino but he's just playing a character who go who's kind of feels like a bit of a loser and decides to go and help his friend in who's an aspiring rapper in his career and he tries to manage him and help him help break him uh because he's starting to have a hit and uh it's kind of just different aspects of their lives and them struggling in that scene. But then there'll just be some really strange, quirky one-off episodes that are just very, the tone will suddenly change quite a bit or it'll be follow one character. You know, there's, there's a whole one episode that was very, very highly regarded in the latest season was just one where a fairly minor character or a lesser character goes to this strange man's house. Who's almost, I don't know. He, he's, uh, yeah, I don't want, I wouldn't give any of it away, but he's a very creepy, strange man who used to be famous. And, uh, it's kind of about their odd confrontation in that house. Um, okay. yeah, but some of it is, some of it is funny and some of it is a bit more, a bit more dramatic, but in general, it's a comedy, but it's, uh, it's, yeah, fair it's, to say, it's fair to say we both like comedies with a hint of drama or dramas with a hint of comedy. Yeah. That's fair to say. If you can add some chuckles in there, <laughs> um, yeah. But it's a it's a quirky, interesting show, and I think I think Donald Glover is a just kind of interesting, creative person. But I, I think it's one of those series that won't always hit the mark for everyone. But when it does, it's very good. Um, yeah. So Atlanta. Uh, is that is that on Netflix? No, it's not. It's I think it's FX. So it's one of those odd ones where. Steve, yeah. what on earth are we going to do about all these multiple streaming platforms? Well, he's done a perfect ah. segue, hasn't he? Um, yeah, well, I mean, that's just textbook work, George. Um, uh, yeah, we wanted to talk about the fact, what happened lately? Disney, George, old Walt announced that 
they are launching their very own version of Netflix. Uh, I think it's called Disney Plus or something, right? Um, and they're loading up. They're going to come in as if we don't subscribe to enough already. They're going to come in and make their own channel. They're going to fill it with Marvel. They're going to fill it with Star Wars. Uh, they're going to fill it with Pixar films, I imagine. They're going to fill it with original Disney films. Um, and they've just bought Fox. So apparently every season of The Simpsons is going to be on there from day one. Um, and X-Files and things like that. No, I don't work for Disney. I'm not trying to sell it to you. That's definitely the, the kind of the feather in the cap, right? Because otherwise there's probably just not enough content if it's just... I was going to say just, but the Star Wars films, the Marvel films and the Pixar films, like that doesn't really match up to everything on Netflix, but saying then I've got the Fox but then if you said every, as well. Yeah, but then if you said every Disney film, I mean, you might be underestimating how big Disney and Marvel and Star Wars fans, how, how you know, committed they are. Because if they if you told them you can get all of them in one place, that that, yeah, that doesn't add up. There's more like nine Star Wars films. <laughs> It's not, you know, it's not the same. I know there's there's like hundreds of Disney films, but Star Wars is a big draw, but it's like there's only so many times you can watch that and justify paying a monthly subscription for it. Well, the thing is, though, they are releasing their own original things around that world. So they're, they're, I think they're... Big, show, right? Yeah, their big launch is The Mandalorian, which mm-hmm. is, I think it is the Bubba Fett one. Um, yeah. And uh, so I, I think they'll probably have spin-offs of some of the lesser marvel characters where they'll probably have their own film uh, so their own series like loki or something but um i get uh, yeah i don't know i I think it's definitely going to be an interesting time because i think if they what i'm noticing when i'm scrolling through netflix at the moment is well a i'm actually going to amazon prime to watch a lot more films and tv at the moment and I think Amazon Prime is getting better and better. And apparently, Prime definitely trumps Netflix for films. Yeah, and, and apparently Amazon are throwing billions in more to into original content, which Amazon can do way easier than Netflix because Amazon have the cash flow. It's almost like nothing to them to go, we're going to invest $5 billion in original content this year. Whereas for Netflix, that's kind of their lifeblood is mm-hmm. only coming from that. It's like for Amazon, it's like, our whole movie selection is just an almost just a little palette cleanser before yeah. you go and use all our other stuff. Um, yeah. But um, so I do think that Netflix long term are actually gonna gonna struggle a bit because I think I just think if you've got that choice, the Amazon one, then I think the Disney one will get more enticing, and Disney will throw original content in, which I think is the long term game. You have to have something original. Well, I think Amazon's feather in its cap as well. I don't know if it was for you, but I signed up for Amazon Prime for the delivery service, and then all of the the video content was just an extra bonus. So it, you know, it feels like an additional extra, whereas really now it's it's taken precedent over the delivery for me. Whereas the Netflix or the Disney one, you're you're paying for the content, so it's like a different um, sum up, the, like a different sum in your head. It kind of I'm budgeting for it from a different space, if you know what I mean. Yeah, D- Disney aren't going to help you out when you haven't got your mum's birthday present. <laughs> no, exactly. And you need a one-day delivery. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I do think that's true as well, which is where old Jeff Bezos is a bit of a crafty genius, isn't he? Um, getting us hooked in through that way. But I think, yeah, the Netflix thing is, I, I watched some of the original content like, Fargo, I watched Roma. Maybe I'll go watch a series like 
don't know, rewatch episodes of Rick and Morty or something, but I'm less and less. I haven't watched a film on Netflix, just just their general selection. I constantly scroll through and find nothing I want to watch. And yeah, I, I, I think know. you and I watch quite a lot of films and go to the cinema a lot, so I don't feel like there's there's a ton beyond that if you kind of saw all of the, the films contemporary to, to our age, at least. There isn't too much more beyond it. Amazon Prime seems to go deep in, you know, the back catalogue of films from the 40s and 50s, although you know, that kind of period as well. Uh, Netflix doesn't really have, have too much to offer from, from the older selection. Would you, would you ever consider, if, if Amazon Prime is good enough, would you consider cancelling a Netflix subscription? Or would you, do you just think you're in now? Uh, it's, it's, yeah, I would say I'm in unless something. I, I did get a notification, I don't know if you would have done, from Amazon Prime saying that they are removing Seinfeld at the end of this month. Now, that, that's a big body blow. Oh, um, that is terrible. So, so I don't know if that means that's because one of the other services has bought it from them. Um, so I imagine, yeah, like you say, all those young guys who are keeping Netflix afloat with friends, if friends left that platform, people would definitely change their minds. I'm not going to quit Amazon Prime because of it, because it offers the other services, but there are definitely one or two kind of pieces at work. If Disney suddenly lost, you know, they wouldn't, but if they lost the Marvel films, they suddenly lose that whole audience, right? So there are there are certainly a couple of shows that can make or break a decision. At this stage, I'm, I'm fine with Netflix. I'm I'm happy to stick with it, but yeah, things could certainly change based on the the lineup changing just slightly. Yeah, and even if some of the originals get slightly worse, like I think Netflix like has been hinging on a few big shows like Stranger Things, and you know some of its bigger offerings. Kind of, it, I, I'm sure they're a big draw to it. But if it was just its general film list, I would I would definitely feel it wasn't worth. It feels more worth for like maybe they'll come out with a really good original series or film. Um, I'm I'm a, I'm not a huge rewatcher. I I generally watch things like dramas. Generally, I watch once. Films, I generally watch once. Maybe things like The Office or Arrested Development, I'll rewatch. But um, to just have something around so I can rewatch things is probably not enough for me to keep it. It's it is the content that I've not seen before, original content to me. So that that would definitely dictate my decision. And yeah, once I've kind of exhausted the films that I want to see on Netflix, that it's not offering me too much more. Yeah. The thing I most rewatch these days is um the American Office on Amazon Prime. <laughs> Absolutely. That, that actually has been a big <laughs> big part yeah. of Amazon Prime for me is really Yeah, same. Yeah. Um but yeah, it's uh it's interesting. There's so much and I feel apparently other networks are planning on their own apps which i don't even understand how they're going to draw people in for a subscription for i don't know what Comcast or something or warner brothers i don't know but yeah disney disney must be about the only entity out there that can do it well just because of their recent spate of buying up other other bodies and studios yeah i feel like it would just become a bubble market where there's just way too many and it'll become there'll be (laughs) there'll be many casualties probably from the streaming wars that um (laughs) yeah probably go into it but uh yeah and and especially i think all these subscriptions are going to add up and people are going to start looking at their bank accounts and being like wow i'm paying cheaper to buy dvds i'm paying a couple of hundred pounds a month just for uh yeah services um yeah but uh could they do it? Do they have a 
I was about, about to say so. I'm I'm always trying to think what's the Netflix of something because a lot of things are trying to do the Netflix for games now. Like mm-hmm. I guess Steam is a bit like that for PC games and things. But is there a net? Is there a Netflix equivalent for books? Is that a library? Is that just a library? <laughs> I think it is. Yeah. Um, I think you can. I think potentially on Prime you can like borrow but i think there are online libraries where you can download a book for a short period of time and then it disappears so that would be the more like digital equivalent where you can download it to a kindle or an e-reader yeah but yeah in in the real world yes it's it's called a library (laughs) ah yes (laughs) but those things no one uses yeah yeah tragic i'll tell you one lovely thing i saw on amazon prime the other day george um have you seen the film call me by your name i have uh, I was moved. It's, it's beautiful. I was touched and moved. And uh, I thought... Great it was soundtrack as well. Great soundtrack. Um, yeah, just a beautiful drama about a romance over a summer, really. Sort of falling in love for the first time. But it was... Uh, yeah, just really... I, I knew... I, had spe- I did expect good things because I'd read reviews. But um, it was just so... It was so watchable and enjoyable the whole way. It was just sort of very... It was almost like spending your summer with those characters it felt uh, the setting as well like, i certainly fell in love with rural italy steve i don't know about you but um the setting was really beautiful as well and like the the villa that they're staying in and everything yeah everything about it it's like a, a feast for the eyes yeah it very much made me look forward to going to italy this summer which i will be george Ooh. um for my sins um yeah so Call Me By Your Name. If you want a film tip for this week, that's mine. Call Me By Your Name is a lovely film. Um, let's, uh, let's talk about big event of this evening, George. Go on. Speaking of Disney, I'm going to see the final Avengers film. Mm. End game, baby. Um, culmination of many years of investment. Uh, the end of the this saga of Marvel, I guess. There'll be many more sagas because when you're making a billion dollars per film, I don't think you quite call it a day. How much money do you personally think you've spent on seeing all the all the Marvel films? Great question. Um, I haven't seen every Marvel film, but I've seen a good chunk. I mean, i've I've given Disney, I've given Disney hundreds of pounds of my money, probably, and now you're going to be paying them monthly to rewatch them. <laughs> to rewatch those and fil- Star Wars from 1976. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, to rewatch Star Wars that I've probably bought four times in different formats. Yeah. And could probably quote from start to finish without yeah. having to watch it. And think of that. I'm not even a Star Wars nerd mm. and I've bought it that many times. I'm not even like someone who, you know, I, I don't, I don't live and breathe Star Wars like some people do. And if I've bought it that many times, how much have other people invested in things like Star Wars? I'd say I've, I've more seen Marvel films than Star Wars films. I watched all the TV shows as a kid, was very early on hooked on Marvel. And then when the films came out, it was like this extra treat. It, it was kind of, oh my God, these things are actually on the screen now. And then they, they started with sort of semi, not, not as great X-Men films and sort of tentatively did you know, a few experiments, but then it kind of improved and improved. And then it suddenly was like the biggest. What's you know, the heard... first film of this kind of franchise? Who's the first 
like is it like the hulk film do you mean of this story that's led up to the avengers and everything yeah with the, all that the, the huge cast that that entails who yeah well it's all, in the first film it's all very messy because there's been many you know there's been different companies that have owned these characters at different times but this whole fleet like the official marvel yeah film, actually begins with um I think actually at the Iron Man ones, okay, Downey Junior uh, is sort of that's sort of the trace, the start of it. Because then you get you know the Iron Man ones, Captain America, you got the Thor, and then you know you've got the spin-offs, the the Guardians of the Galaxies, all the rest. So that's actually because Marvel didn't have a bunch of characters, which is why they didn't when they started this universe have Spider Man, which is why Spider Man was so late to the party to do their one. You know, the, the Spider-Man films with Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield were not owned by Marvel at the time. Right. Which is why they never fed into the universe. So it was kind of, for a long time, they didn't have them. They didn't have the X-Men. All the X-Men films have not so far been done under the the official kind of Marvel Disney uh, version. Yeah. So it's kind of, that's why, again, in, in like the comics and stuff, the some of the X-Men are in the Avengers, but in this version they're not um so i think what marvel are now going to do because they bought back a load of those things and they have spider-man now and they only recently i think got x-men so i think now they're probably gonna play with those toys for a while probably do do some version of the x-men or put them in or mix them in with whatever characters are left after this uh this saga ends so yeah i don't know there's comic book i mean (laughs) They've, they've really done a number with these comic books films doing well because if anyone knows comic books, there are literally hundreds of them and there's many, many stories and characters they can use. So I think they'll use it until this boom ends. And, and, and at some point, all booms come to an end, right? So I'm sure the comic book mania can't go on forever, I think. Um, I did hear someone saying that the superhero films of this generation's Western which is interesting comparison in that, you know, Westerns were at one point in a boom phase where there were tons of them, right? And people just used to go and see another Western. Mm-hmm. And what I noticed thinking back about Westerns actually is that only only a handful are ones that people talk about as, I'm sure Western aficionados will disagree, but if you talk any any film critics or film buffs, only talk about a handful as in terms of in the pantheon of great, great classic movies. And yet there are hundreds and hundreds of Westerns that no one talks about or no one watches now. So it does it does seem to be a genre of its time. And I wonder if superhero films will feel like that at some point, where they feel like a genre of its time, where, oh my God, there were hundreds of these things, but there's only a handful now we talk about that were exceptional or, exceptional or that we really, really Yeah, like. I, th- I think with Westerns as well, I suppose that there, there's always been like, well, not always, more recently there's been the kind of revisionist Western or even from, it's probably around kind of, and, and they're films that sort of trade on the the sort of external profile of the actors as well. Like I'm thinking of like Unforgiven, right? The Clint Eastwood film. It's sort of, it's one of my favourite films and it sort of talks a lot about the genre. It talks a lot about the cast within the, the premise of the film itself. And I think, maybe superhero films potentially have that that to come i guess like not as frequent and not as common but having 
talking or saying some things about the genre itself as they develop and sort of looking back at the tropes that they themselves created. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, well, 80-year-old Robert Downey Jr. or something. Yeah, and, and you already, you can see the the uh, the comic book film having started to go through those phases already where it used to be very earnest and po-faced. It got to a more stage of knowing what it is, being very knowing and ironic. You know, you've got things like Guardians of the Galaxy. Even Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man is constantly, it's sort of making jokes about itself while it's doing it. And as, you know, they moved into a self-aware stage. And I wonder if there's another stage after that where it will be even more deconstruction of superhero you know because because any genre eventually to to keep going it has to sort of break its own conventions doesn't it or it has to it, ha- it there's genre conventions that work like in a horror film but they almost have to once the audience becomes savvy to the tropes of the genre it has to take it somewhere new or it becomes played out like if you now do if you now do a film noir, straight, hard-boiled detective story with the grizzled detective and the femme fatale, it's like, oh, you're doing a pastiche of a tired old trope and you have to either break it or do something unexpected with it to make it fresh. You know, if you just did an old-fashioned, hard-boiled detective thing, it would, it would look dated, wouldn't it? I, th- I think so. I think there's possibly examples that just... Um... <laughs> Like because time's gone. I mean, La La Land isn't particularly um, kind of doing anything different with the idea of like the big 1950s musical. It's just there aren't a ton of those anymore, so it sort of stands out for being. Yeah, I guess that just updated it, made it modern. I by updated, I mean what it's shot in color. I don't like. I don't know what's <laughs> particularly updated about it. Um, yeah, well, even even the art, the artist. I think that's a little bit more. Um, kind of making nods to the medium, but still, like, it's a black and white silent film, right? It doesn't do a ton of different things. It's more just the novelty of it occurring in the midst of awesome big, big budget action films makes it stand out. Um, but it's. Yeah, those films I see almost as tributes almost to a genre yeah. in a way, They're, rather than taking the genre forward, if you know what I mean. I think yeah. is their glory, they're reveling in it and glorifying a kind of nostalgia. Um, is Who owns, like, I'm so very ignorant of all of these superhero films, who owns Deadpool? Is that not like a kind of like no, that, more that, self-aware take on the genre? That is, and that's Fox, I think, who had Deadpool. Um, I think it's Fox. It's definitely not, it's not in the core you know, Marvel, it's not in the Disney Marvel canon. Okay. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think these are all linked, you know, these films swap writers and directors and things and, and are influenced by each other. So yeah, like something like Deadpool is, is definitely something that very much tried to probably successfully did like break a lot of. What was the Will Smith superhero film where he's like an alcoholic? Hancock. Yeah. Was that, was that, is that a superhero film that just sort of like undermines the genre a bit? I've not seen it. He's kind like of a, it kind of is. I haven't, I, I haven't actually, I don't know. I think I saw it years ago. I don't remember it. It, it wasn't very good basically. Okay, okay, <laughs> right. yeah. Census, but, uh, but yeah, I guess those things all, all have, there's been many, many spins right on the same, like 
yeah, comic books themselves did this, where many comic books eventually started breaking the fourth wall or having, you know, this character is an old man now and sick of it. And he's mm. starting to question everything he's done and whether he's actually helping. And, you know, comic books almost did play out through all of that. And that's what Alan Moore's stuff is about, right? The yeah. Watchmen. The Watchmen is very much a, a lot of Alan Moore's work is essentially saying, is what superheroes do even good? Uh, what are the bad parts of this, um, this vigilante kind of justice? And it's lots of characters actually doing, in superhero costumes, doing a lot of brooding existential questioning of what they're doing. Yeah. So, so in a way that has already played out in comic books. It just hasn't played out in the films quite yet, I think. Mm. Um, you know, yeah, it's very it's very interesting and and unusual though the way, and some people will regard it as a negative, I suppose, the infantilization of culture in a way. But it's very unusual the way these films like Star Wars and Marvel films now capture adult and children audiences in the exact same way. It seems and. And yeah, I guess there's a combination of the nostalgia factor definitely plays a big part, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, I guess there's nostalgia and there's some, I don't know, maybe it's some kind of yearning for a kind of, I don't know. I guess people also like the way they've built, you know, people like things that feel epic and they have made, if you make a universe and a world where you start to know all the characters and the story, you know, it's almost just like getting hooked on a, great on a soap opera or something where it's like yeah i'm going to watch the next installment now what's going to happen to my lord of the rings did that to a to a degree didn't it as well i guess three like epic films over three years that drew the same and a growing audience um, yeah that is that you know if you can get that epic struggle that whole like joseph campbell you know hero's journey thing uh, i think it just and, and then add the epic spectacle of CG and everything going on the screen and, you know, just it sort of being an event. I, I think it's, it is quite irresistible for people. Um, big, will you see a bucket of popcorn for you? A big old bucket of popcorn. Sure. Um, and yeah, I, I, think I know of, you love that George, when people eat in the cinema, it's your favorite. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not like you can hear anything going on. I imagine during the Avengers. <laughs> suppose, but I think I've only seen God, the first guardians of the galaxy film out of the whole kind of collection of the films that build up to this one. I didn't particularly enjoy it. So um, have you seen any of the Avengers films? No. Good Lord. We're on very different pages on this one, aren't we? Well, yeah, I've, I've got no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Half our listeners switched off ages ago. Just to, uh, <laughs> watch Marvel films. Um, the good thing is they're not the only films I watch. So I've got other, you know, I'm not one of those people where that's all I saw this year was Marvel films, um, which is becoming increasing. Um, so, John, talk. Oh, I think I muted my mic there. Do you want to talk about the new Star Wars, George, or do you want to wrap it up there? <laughs> I don't have a ton to say about it, Steve. I've seen the trailer. Uh, I it's probably for another time, but I really didn't enjoy the last film. Um, and yeah, the trailer sort of met most of the beats you'd expect it to meet i didn't really like the title um but yeah they're obviously not given too much away so we'll have to wait and see for more i think so do you think the title's a little corny the rise of skywalker 
Yeah, I think just because it's like, is that a name? Very, is it's that... very on the nose, isn't it? It's not, the other ones have very like a new hope, the Empire Strikes Back. They're much more sort of ambiguous, I guess. Yeah, yeah but this is like, I think what I don't like about this is like the deliberate ambiguousness of it, despite being on the nose, because it's like, oh, does that mean Luke Skywalker? Does that mean his heir? Does that mean, you know, in the same way that the title for the previous one, you know, it's like it's just ambiguous enough that it causes a lot of debate but that debate doesn't really need to exist it's sort of like it will be put to rest when the film comes on so just yeah save it spare us maybe yeah i i i find endless internet fan theorizing insufferable now yeah and i think i think that those titles often play to sort of propagate that because they're you know pushing the marketing agenda which is absolutely fine but i just i'm not really interested in myself i suppose yeah, or it's like we showed two seconds of this person. What does that mean? And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's now designed to get people to just write those endless crappy articles, being like ten things we might have learned from the trailer. Yeah, I think yeah, we we saw that trailer. I mean, it's it's going to be out in December. <laughs> we'll see the film then. It's like and you know you know that the trailer yeah the trailer's been designed to not tell you what happens in the film right or lead you down a false path. So so why bother speculating or caring? I suppose just see the film when it comes out. Yeah. So so I guess that's, that's the spirit. I guess I guess we've now we've now just by saying that nixed all those potential episodes where we could have said. <laughs> We deconstruct the new Avengers trailer. Yeah, this isn't the last episode of our podcast. That is podcast where it's just 90 minutes of speculation about a film that's coming out in like two months. It's just, you don't need to do this, do you? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Uh, you want to you wanna wrap up there, George? I think, it, I think it's time we go, yeah. All right. Um, thanks for joining us for this little free-willing chat. Um, I enjoyed it. George, how did you find it? It was nice. Very nice. Um, uh, I'm going to toddle off to the gym now. I've got green juice. One of the advantages of being at home is my mum is blending juices. So, um, <laughs> you need to get, your, get ready for the cinema, don't you, later? You, need to you, know, you can say it's sad for a 30-year-old man to be at home with his with mother. Making juices, but... Okay. Uh, who's winning? Um, uh, okay. Uh, yeah, I'm going to get ready for the cinema. And we'll talk all about my thoughts about the Avengers on a future episode. No spoilers, though, Steve. No, no spoilers. I've um, got about 35 films to catch up with. Sure. Um, I'm genuinely excited for tonight, actually. Very it's nice. It's nice that, yeah, I got super excited when, this, yeah, when the last, the first of the new Star Wars films come, came out. There is that nostalgia of how much it made you excited as a kid to go to the cinema. So I think that's, that's very sweet. I like it. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, buckle in <laughs> and uh, I'll see you on the other side, mate. Cheers, guys. All right. Cheers, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye.